It's good to be here tonight. Uh, if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to um, John chapter 13. We're going to start there, though I admit we're not going to be there very long. We'll go somewhere else. But first passage we'll be opened up to is, is um, John 13. So on the night before Jesus was betrayed, um, Jesus wanted to prepare his disciples for what was about to happen. And a lot was about to happen. Both to him and, and to them. And he covers several topics in this conversation. It's recorded in John 13, 14, 15, and 16. He tells them that he's uh, going to give them this task. That they're going to have to testify about what they've seen and heard. He tells them that, that people are going to mistreat them pretty terribly for, for doing that. Um, he, he tells them, though, that he's going to take care of them. So long as you stick close to uh, the vine, right, he's going to take care of them. And a way to take care of them, he's going to give them a helper, the, the Holy Spirit. But before he even gets into these, these topics, we read that Jesus kneels before his disciples and he washes their feet. And then he shares a meal with them. And then he begins his teaching. And the first words of his teaching are in John 13, verse 34. It says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Was this a new commandment? Well, I guess in some ways, yes, right? Jesus says it is. But in some ways, no. I mean, the fact that people ask Jesus, hey, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, you got to love God. But then he also says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Leviticus 19, verse 18. But what made it new was that qualifier that he throws in there. Even as I have loved you. So the disciples were, were told to love to the extent that Jesus has loved. And certainly to this point in Jesus' life, Jesus has already set that bar pretty high, right? I mean, they have seen Jesus over and over heal people throughout the entire day. And then he, 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 at the end of that, he goes off to pray instead. They have seen a dedication, a love greater than any man they'd ever seen, except he was about to show them just how much he loved them on the cross. Because he was willingly... He, he was willing to take on the cross for them, laying down his life for his friends, you might say. But then he says in verse 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the distinctive quality of a disciple of Jesus is the obvious way they show love to one another. It's not going to be the clothes that they wear. It's not going to be how many Pharisees they called out. It's not going to be how many false teachers they called out. It's not going to be how many people they healed, although those things are good. It's not going to be any other particular mark that you might think of. No, the distinctive quality is going to be that they love one another. And then throughout this conversation, again, chapters 13, 14, 15, and 16, Jesus keeps coming back to this thought of loving one another. And then he ends it in this beautiful prayer in John 17. And he repeats this idea again. And in this prayer, he says, beginning in verse 22, The glory which you, being God, he's speaking to God in this, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, 
that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. So this unity, this togetherness of the disciples was going to be a testament of God's love for humanity. It was going to be a sign to all people everywhere that God loves them because of the way that we love one another and are united in one another. For the next few weeks, I want to explore this idea of what it means to love one another. I'm going to do this by looking at some of the one another passages that you find throughout the New Testament. Because if, we, uh, if the way that we interact with the world uh, is a proclamation of God's love for the world, and the way that we interact and love one another is a proclamation of our love for God, I think we had better take this into account. I think we had better think about this humbly and diligently. Well, this evening, I'm going to start with maybe you wouldn't think would be the first thing to start with as far as one another passages are concerned. But I want to talk about hospitality in the Bible. And which clicker is it, Mark? All right, here we go. I want to talk about hospitality in the Bible. I'm on the other one now. There it is. We're going to be looking at this topic of, of, of hospitality. Now, I'll admit this is a topic I've never preached on. And prior to this week, it's a topic I've never heard preached on before. That says more about me than it does that it's talked about at all. But I hadn't really heard much about it. And again, personally speaking, hospitality seems like one of those things that is expected, but it's not really talked about very much. And the, really the only times I've ever heard it referenced was ladies talking about what they talked about in a ladies class, as if this is something that only ladies are expected to do. This lesson really just started out as a curiosity for me, but the more I explored it, uh, the more overwhelmed I became of the importance, the idea of hospitality. But perhaps one of the reasons why we don't talk about it very often is because uh, it's, not, it's not spoken of explicitly in Scripture very often, right? The passages that I have uh, up there, the five times that it's used, right? And even when it is used, each time it's used really in a list of things you ought to be doing. So even then, it's not really given this, this full attention that you might expect. Um, it's listed in the qualifications of elders, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. 1 Timothy 5, it's listed in qualifications of a widow indeed, a widow that was going to be supported uh, by the church. And then it's listed in like these summary sections uh, of letters where, where the writer mentions, here's, hey, here's a lot of good things that you ought to be doing uh, as Christians. And so maybe one could argue that we don't talk about it very much. Well, because the Bible doesn't talk about it very much. However... I think if we understand what hospitality is, that being love or kindness to strangers and kindness, love and kindness to one another, man, you'll start to see it everywhere in Scripture. Uh, actually, when I was teaching uh, Acts uh, to the high schoolers, I remember just, just kind of making passing observations of fellowship and, and hospitality uh, in the book, but it really wasn't an emphasis of, of mine. And it really wasn't until I started prepping for this lesson that I started to notice it everywhere in the book of Acts. Now, these are just my observations, and there might be more in it. However, even though hospitality is actually never mentioned explicitly, using the word in the book of Acts, I think you see it everywhere in the book. 
You can see it pretty clearly in Acts 2 and 4, right? These great summaries of what the church looked like at this time. Uh, Luke provides these, these similar summaries and where you see the church is growing, but so is their unity. Bob talked about it this morning. If you look at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, you notice that, sure, yeah, they're all Jews at Pentecost, but these are Jews coming from everywhere to the extent where they're speaking different languages. And yet at the end of Acts 2 and again at the end of Acts 4, you see these people going from house to house. You see them praying together, sharing meals together, giving up their possessions for one another. And I love this statement that's used in verse 47 of Acts chapter 2. It says that they were having favor with one another. Having meaning they're, they're, they're sharing, they're providing. But that word favor is more often translated grace in the New Testament. They're providing grace to one another. They're showing grace to, uh, to one another. And if you don't really know what that means, what does it mean to show grace to one another? Well, go and read verses 42 through 46, and you'll get a pretty good indication of what sharing grace might look like in the church. And again, you see a similar phrase in Acts chapter 4. This abundant grace was upon them. And this attitude continues throughout the book. Chapter 6, there's this daily serving of food. Chapter 9 is uh, most uh, notable for the conversion of Saul, right? But buried within there is actually a pretty wonderful display of hospitality. You got this guy named Judas. Uh, there's no indication that he knows uh, who Ananias is. But Ananias is supposed to go to Judas's house. And oh, by the way, Ananias is going to be bringing a pretty notorious guest along. And yet Judas just does it. He brings in Ananias. He brings in Saul. And at the end of verse 19, he's given him food. You see another example in chapter 9, Tabitha, one of my favorite obscure people in the Bible. Um, nothing else is said of her except that she is the epitome of hospitality, abounding in kindness and charity. How would you like that written on your tombstone? I mean, she's so great that the Christians in Joppa can't live without her. They bring her back from the dead, and she is of, of wonderful service to them. You go over to chapter 17. You get Jason, another rather obscure uh, figure in, in, in the Bible. But Jason's reputation of hospitality is such that the Jews, when they're going out looking for Paul and, and, and Silas, where do they go? They go to Jason's house. We know that he is one who would be housing these people, right? And there's so many examples throughout Acts, and, but I love the way it ends. You look at Acts chapter 28. Paul is finally in a, in a, in a position where he has these, this rented house, right? And what does Paul do with that rented house? He finally has the opportunity to be hospitable to other people. And he has people coming over all the time and he's preaching and teaching the gospel. We see hospitality everywhere in the book of Acts. So how did this happen? If there's really very little teaching on hospitality, how did something like this happen? How was it that Christians throughout the book just know to show this kindness and this love and this hospitality? I mean, did we, did we miss something? I mean, certainly there's going to be other things that were said that weren't recorded here for us. But I would argue that the absence of it actually speaks louder than if it were spoken of Repeatedly, because it seems to just be such a part of their culture, implying that it is an integral part of the gospel message. But of course, hospitality precedes the book of Acts. Jesus showed it. Jesus even showed it after his resurrection, which is interesting. Luke 24, the road to Emmaus, he goes to those men's house, uh, the, the, that house, and he eats with them. He teaches them when he's there. 
You remember what he's doing in John chapter 21? The disciples are out fishing, and Jesus is over here preparing breakfast on the, on the beach, serving them, right? Then even before that, Jesus spoke about it in his ministry as well. Matthew 25 has a, has a, a, a pretty detailed parable about this type of hospitality. The parable of the sheep and the goats. It's the one who, who feeds the hungry, gives drink to the thirsty, invites the stranger, clothes the naked, visits the one in prison. That's the one who truly served Jesus. There's another one in Luke chapter 10. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is sending the disciples out. Right? And they're going to go out and they're going to speak the kingdom to people. And as they're out preaching the kingdom, there would be some harsh punishment for those who did not receive the disciples. Not just listen to what they were saying, but receive them into their home. Similar to Matthew 25, if they didn't receive the disciples, they didn't receive Jesus. But the message of hospitality even predates Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist, as he's paving the way for Jesus to come, as he prepares the people for Jesus' message, he speaks on this topic. Luke chapter 3, the Pharisees are coming to John, and they're asking pretty much, how, how can we avoid the wrath to come? John's, uh, John speaks in, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 11. He says, well, the man who has, has two tunics... Or the man who has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. You want to know how to avoid the wrath to come? Give to those who have need. Share your food with people. But of course, it predates John as well. Uh, we'd be here forever if we were to look at all the commands that God gives people in the law uh, about hospitality, and even longer if we were to look at all the examples. But just to list a few of them, you'll remember Boaz. Boaz shows this great hospitality to Ruth, this non-Israelite, and also to Naomi. Abigail showering David with food and drink as, as a peace offering of sorts. The widow of Zarephath in 1 Kings 17 showing hospitality to Elijah at a pretty great cost to herself. The point is, is that hospitality has always been a part of God's message and expected of all of his followers. So why don't we practice this as thoroughly as the early Christians in Acts and, and even before that? Now, I want to clarify, this is not some indictment of Oak Mountain. Actually, we have been showered with hospitality since we've been here. However, this is at least something that we need to be thinking about. And for each and every one of us here, how can we improve on this? So how come we don't practice it in this same way? You could say... You could say that it was just a part of their culture. Like this was a cultural thing for them to do this sort of thing. But then I would say, it's like, well, it's a part of their culture because of their obedience to God. That's why it's a part of their culture, right? I mean, we have, we have the same opportunity to make it a part of our culture, at least within this church, right? Now, I, I do want to also say we do live in a different time and place. And being hospitable, especially with young children around, becomes more difficult with every news story that comes out. But at the same time, we ought to be thinking about how we can become more hospitable. I think one reason why we struggle uh, with practicing hospitality is actually because we, we struggle with, with receiving hospitality. I think we struggle other people serving us. 
I mean, it's not very difficult to see how a culture that's so centered on individual rights and expression has become so individualized, right? We place so much value and pride on on being able to take care of ourselves, to be able to do things for ourselves, so that when we do need help for anything, we don't want to tell anybody. We don't want to show any type of struggle, right? Now, I know there's, there are other passages in Scripture that, that, that teach that we need to be willing to work. We need to be willing to put food on the table and not have to depend on other people. But at the same time, there's an overwhelming amount of passages that show people who are receiving these good things from others. And consequently, we've, I think we've astat, uh, attached a negative stigma to being in need. Look back at Luke chapter 10. I referenced this story before about receiving the disciples. That was something they were, that they were supposed to do. You notice, though, you look at verses 4 and 7, that Jesus is not just teaching on giving hospitality, but on receiving it as well. He instructs the disciples that they're not supposed to take anything with them. When you go on this trip, you're taking nothing, making you totally dependent on the hospitality of strangers. And if they do accept you in, then you're just supposed to eat whatever they, uh, they give you. You're supposed to drink whatever they give you. You're not going to bounce around from house to house in search of a better company or something like that. What we might call intrusive, what the disciples are doing right here, Jesus kind of calls it providing an opportunity to serve. Part of serving is being served and providing others the opportunity to serve. I'll, I'll, I'll give a personal example. Um, I remember when our family w- was preparing to move here. It was a very stressful time uh, in our house, especially when we were trying to get our house ready for sale. Some of us here know exactly what that's like right now. Not a very easy time, but there was somebody, somebody in my life, uh, somebody I'm extremely grateful for, um, who really wanted to help us get our house ready and was going to do whatever she could to help us get it ready. And she asked if she could come over at some time and do something. And I told her, like, hey, you know, don't, don't worry about it. I appreciate the help, but I'm just going to I'm going to hire out the work uh, and it, it'll be fine. She called me later that night and uh, she kind of reprimanded me. She got on to me because she wanted to help. And here I was denying her the opportunity to do that. And I'll admit, that felt quite intrusive. And to be perfectly honest, I was angry at the end of that conversation. But after giving some time and after talking to a friend of mine, I decided to let her help because that friend of mine told me that sometimes service looks like letting others serve you. And that seems kind of backwards. But sometimes service is allowing other people to serve you. So can you take an Uber to the airport? Sure. Or you could ask someone to help take you there. You could bring someone along with you, right? Acts chapter 21. Not that an Uber was available for Paul, but in Acts chapter 21, as he's going down to Jerusalem, he's going to stay at, uh, at this person's house, Mason, uh, and he's going to house this large group. But you, he's leaving from Caesarea. And you'll remember in Acts 21, a lot of brethren from Caesarea kind of escort Paul and company down to get them there, to make sure that he got there in time. Could you stay at a hotel Maybe put up a do not disturb sign, eat your complimentary breakfast with your earbuds in and never talk to a single person. Well, yeah, you could. 
Or you could stay with the Christian family who lives in the area. Or you could at least try and get in contact with one and meet up with them. When Paul was in Corinth, Acts chapter 18, Paul's in Corinth and he meets Aquila and Priscilla. I'm going to guess, though, there would have been nicer places to stay than with these poor refugee tent makers from Rome. But he does it. He accepts their hospitality. You know what else he accepts is great friendship with Aquila and Priscilla. While you're on vacation, could you worship uh, just as a family? Sure. There's certainly benefit to that. Or you could worship with a small group of Christians wherever you are and encourage them there. Throughout the book of Acts, Paul is constantly going to these different churches, encouraging them, worshiping with them. And you see that most prominently in Acts chapter 14, right? When he goes back to all those churches that he helped start on his first missionary journey. And he stays with them. He encourages them. Bob, uh, Bob talked a lot about that this morning. There's a great benefit to doing something like that. Being with other Christians, even if you don't know them. You also see it again in Acts chapter 20. Paul is on his way down to Jerusalem, but he sees it fit to stop in Troas. Why? Because he wanted to worship with them on Sunday. He wanted to make sure that he was with other brothers and sisters in Christ to worship God with them. And you know what happened? Well, he was given the opportunity to preach while he was there. He was also given the opportunity to raise a kid from the dead. You never know what type of service you might be able to provide. I'm going to guess not that one. But there's so much that we can do when we're with other people. And we deny that opportunity when we just don't do it. I think we fear being a burden and imposing on others to the detriment of our relationship with other Christians. And to the detriment of showing hospitality to others. And I mentioned this at the start of the lesson, but remember, before Jesus uh, teaches the disciples, well, he sits down and shares a meal with them. But then even before that, he washes their feet. And you remember what Peter said? No, 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 no. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus responds in verse 9, then you'll have no part of me. Part of serving is allowing others to serve you. But of course, receiving hospitality is made much more difficult when it's never offered. It's made much more difficult when it's never practiced. And perhaps it's not offered as much as it should be because the idea of hospitality, I believe, has been so corporatized. I mean, it's an industry after all, right? The hospitality industry. And perhaps we view hospitality through that type of that corporate lens. Like, why do I have to do it? There's a whole industry dedicated to housing and feeding people, right? It's a whole lot easier to find a hotel or an Airbnb than find other Christians to be around. And it's you know what? It's probably a whole lot more comfortable as well. So why not we just leave it to the professionals to do that? And then if we actually do show hospitality, we pattern it off of the industry as if we have to roll out some red carpet in order to do it. Or we pattern it off of what I'll call like a, a, a churchy industry. Like we got to do it the way grandma did it. If we don't do it the way grandma did it, then we can't do it at all. As if there's some specific way that we have to do this. I hope we've seen that hospitality has much more to do with the mindset than what we actually do. It's more an act of being a good steward. One who knows the things that he or she has isn't really theirs, but it's been given to them, and so they ought to share it with others. Being motivated by this, by compassion. 
And we see this attitude in Acts chapter 2. We referenced it before, but I think we see it most succinctly in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Acts 4 and verse 32, it says, And the congregation was of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property. They didn't see things as their own. Made it a whole lot easier to share with others when you approach it in that way. Of course, what we actually do is important. It's interesting. You do look through these examples, and a house and food is involved in a whole lot of them. Uh, I, and in preparation for this lesson, I was talking to a bunch of different people, and one person, uh, I asked them, so, so uh, do you think food needs to be served? And she said, well, no. But they certainly do stay longer when food is available. Now, that isn't to say that it has to be done in some specific way. However, the sacrifice we make, the things we offer to the ones we're showing hospitality to, it ought to be done purposefully, stemming from a mindset that is dedicated to loving one another. We ought to be more willing to show hospitality. But when we do it, it doesn't have to be big. It can be small. Not much has to be required when we do it. Brethren, getting together in Acts chapter 12, I don't think there's too much of a financial burden placed on Mary. I don't think there was a huge investment of resources as everyone gathered into Mary's house. However, they were so convinced that it would be better if we participate in this act of worship, this, this prayer, if we participate in this together in the same house, rather than by ourselves in our own homes. We need to do this together. But you don't see the red carpet being rolled out for all these people. But you do see a dedication to prayer and doing it with, with one another. Similarly, in Acts chapter 5, it says the apostles are uh, going from house to house, right? They're teaching and preaching from house to house. Now, it's unclear as to whether an, another public place, like outside of the temple, was available. But really, the temple is becoming more and more dangerous by the day. And so they're going from house to house. They're teaching and preaching. Again, not this huge financial responsibility, but just that people were coming over so that the Word of God could be taught. But notice also, if we can look at this practically, notice also that it's not just one person. It's house to house. Perhaps to lighten the load for people, they spread the responsibility around. If you want to be more hospitable, you want to do something weekly or monthly, don't feel like it has to be at your house every single time. Get somebody else involved. Or... If being hospitable makes you feel uncomfortable, then get an experienced vet to come around with you. Invite them over to your house as well. And I, I guarantee you that'll, that'll take off some of that load. It doesn't have to be big. It can be small. And I'll also say, um, if, if, if you want to be hospitable and you literally don't have the means to do it. I didn't tell Hannah this, but use my house. Uh, you, use our stuff. I know that might seem weird, but I remember being in college. There was, there was one family who always had college kids around. And a lot of the times, they didn't provide any food. They didn't provide any activities or anything like that. Their only goal was just to have a place for college kids, a, a safe place for young Christians to get together. Sometimes they just called up and say, hey, I have a group of friends. Is it okay if we meet at your house tonight? And they'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Again, you don't have to be the one who is providing everything. It doesn't have to be this big thing, but it needs to be done. It could be simple. It could be small. 
It doesn't have to be perfect when we're showing hospitality. I love these back-to-back stories in Acts chapter 16 uh, in Philippi. You have two different conversions, right? You got Lydia, and then later on you have the jailer. They're each converted, and each of them immediately invite Paul and Silas over to their home, provide food, and provide a place for them to sleep. You think they were ready to have company? You think they were ready to invite these people into their home? You think they had their typical meal meal prepped and ready? No, they didn't have that stuff, I don't think. It was this spontaneous outpouring of, of, of grace. Like they had received grace and they now want to show grace to others. Uh, I mentioned in preparing for this lesson, I talked to other people. There, there's one couple that I talked with who, who in my mind, are, are one of the greatest examples of hospitality, at least in my life. And the wife used this phrase, uh, which relates to uh, what we see in Acts chapter 16. She used this phrase, spontaneous combustion. I love that thought. When it comes to hospitality, we need to practice spontaneous combustion. And she defined it as this. She said, sure, we're, we're not ready for these people to come over. And we don't really know what's going to happen when they do. The, the, the afternoon might explode in our face, but it's the right thing to do. So we're going to do it and just go with whatever happens. We've got to be more willing to spontaneously combust. If Kool-Aid and popcorn is all you got, then you serve Kool-Aid and popcorn like a sweet tea and brisket. Do whatever you can to have people over and make them feel welcome. I think this is, this is an important thing to think about, that it doesn't have to be big, it can be small, it doesn't have to be perfect, it just needs to be purposeful. It needs to be an outpouring of our love. It can't be a show. We can't be trying to show off our, our, our knowledge, our house, our cooking, our wealth. As somebody told me, care and compassion go much further than a chicken sandwich. Now, chicken sandwich is good. Brisket is delicious, but... Kool-Aid and popcorn is fine, too, if that's all you got. Because, again, it's not about the food or any of these outward signs. Again, food serves a function within, but it's not the purpose. The purpose is care and compassion. The purpose is fulfilling that new command that Jesus gave, loving one another as he loved us. And you see this throughout the book of Acts, that they served one another. As I've mentioned before, they did this because they wanted to show God's grace to one another. In all of these passages, God's grace is either specifically mentioned in connection to hospitality, or God's grace is talked about after, or excuse me, hospitality is mentioned after they had received God's grace. God's grace is a part of this. Again, not only are we trying to prove that we are disciples of Jesus in the way that we show our hospitality, but as we saw in Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, we are proclaiming God's love as well. God's love for humanity as we show our love for others. And another purpose for hospitality that I think we see in the book of Acts is the spread of the gospel. Um, In so many places, we see the gospel being spread as a result of hospitality. Uh, The gospel is spread in cities like uh, Damascus, Corinth, Ephesus. Paul uses hospitality in Rome to help spread the gospel, right? We see it everywhere. And I believe that I am a Christian Today, in part because of hospitality that was shown uh, to me by other high schoolers, by the way. So y'all aren't exempt from this. I distinctly remember the first Bible study I ever went to. There was a large group of high schoolers that were involved. Um, And I'll admit, I was not the most approachable kid in high school. 
Um, I had hair down to my shoulders, if you can imagine that. If you can't, Hannah unfortunately has pictures. Um, I had hair down to my shoulders. I always wore a baseball hat, and it wasn't to keep the hair out of my face. It was actually to keep the hair promptly in my face so you couldn't see me at all. And I remember this particular night, I had this bright green Eric Clapton t-shirt on, baggy pants. I mean, it, it, it was a pretty good look, I got to admit. Um, but no, not, not the most approachable kid, I would say. I felt pretty uncomfortable being there, if I might be honest. But there's this older girl who is there, two or three years older than me. She, she came up to me and started talking. Her name is uh, Karen Coronado. She's an absolute champion of evangelism and hospitality and still is. And I've talked to other Christians who live in totally different parts of the world. And they have the same connection with the very same thing with this individual. What a wonderful thing. But she totally put me at ease that night. I, she just talked about college football to begin with. But it eventually got into more serious topics. And then other people started getting in. And that night... That night is extremely special to me and made a huge impression on me. But of course, the high schoolers couldn't have done that without the support of their parents. These particular kids that I got involved with in high school, much different than the other kids I was involved with, these particular kids had parents who created a culture of hospitality. I mean, they were just always willing to have other kids over. All the time, there were kids over at people's houses, always getting together, not just for their own kids. They weren't just trying to edify their own kids, but they were trying to edify other kids like me. And I'm indebted to those individuals who created that type of culture. What type of culture are we creating with our, within our house? Are we doing the same? We cannot minimize the impact that you can have for the sake of the kingdom when you are hospitable, especially to those who are not Christians. There's a whole lot of other things that I could say in connection with hospitality and, and some of the purposes behind it. I mean, I think we better complete the picture of what it means to, to, to be a body of Christ when we're hospitable, rather than just this list of individuals. I think we're better able to mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice when we're doing it at their kitchen table or on their couch or something like that. I think we're better able to bear one another's burdens when we do that. We're better able to treat others as we would like to be treated, thus fulfilling the law and the prophets, as Jesus says in Matthew 7. I, I hope, I hope this, this evening, though, that we, we're encouraged just to be more hospitable. And if I might suggest, by your hospitality, all men will know that you are my disciples. I want to end tonight by looking at 1 Peter chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. This is where we find that passage uh, where it says to be hospitable to one another. There's a lot of great things that are mentioned here. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 8. It says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint, as each one has received a special gift Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You've received grace, so you're going to give that grace to others. Verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. 
so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We serve a great God, one who has richly supplied us with every physical and spiritual blessing we could possibly imagine. So let us honor God in the way that we use those blessings to honor others. Let us show God's love to one another. And let us show that we are truly disciples of Jesus in the way that we show hospitality to one another. If you're not a Christian, this, this lesson hasn't exactly been about how you become one. However, I hope it has at least promoted this wonderful benefit of becoming a Christian. If you become a Christian, you become a part of a family. A family of people who love and care for you. When, when, when this love is shown in the way that God has designed, which is an important qualifier because we don't always show that. I mean, God show us patience when we don't. But when this love is shown the way God has designed it, you will not find a greater love anywhere in this world than in God's church. Because it is a love that is based on the sacrificial love of Jesus. And you can have a part in that love if you submit yourself to Him. You can be a part of this family, which is a wonderful benefit, but you get to serve the God above who has designed it to be so. If you've kind of walked away from this family, I hope you see the great blessing that it would be if you returned. If you came back to be a part of God's family, wherever you are, maybe you don't live here, maybe you're, you live somewhere else, be a part of God's family there. And be a part of it by serving one another and allowing others to serve you. If you have any need of this particular invitation, please come up now while we stand and while we sing.